The Word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the Word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our Saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's Word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to bromleytownchurch.com. We've had various uh, mentions of the royal wedding here this morning, which is hardly surprising. It's not often that the nation puts on an event like that. And uh, let's face facts, the United Kingdom can do an amazing, an amazing display of pomp and circumstance. And with weather like we had yesterday, it was England at its greatest, really, at its best. You know, you know, if you live here, which we all obviously do, uh, then uh, you know that the weather is hardly ever like that. Clear blue sky. <laughs> so we rejoice in that. And the fact, again, it's been mentioned, Bishop Michael Curry. Yes. Hallelujah. A bishop from Chicago preaching his heart out. And it was amusing as we were watching the various faces as... What on earth is going on here? Why are people like that? You see, there is a higher authority than the Queen of England who is sitting in that place. And when the Spirit of God starts to move, He starts to break down barriers and enter people's hearts so they don't know what is happening. What's going on with me? Why is this? What is this power? Because there is power in the name of Jesus. There is power to break into hearts to destroy the stubborn work of sin. There is power in the message that he brought. You see, love does not fail. Love does not fail. See, God has never, God has never and will never be quaking in the corner thinking like, how am I going to overcome? That is not God. When the enemy rose up against him, when Satan rose up against God in heaven, There was pride in his heart and he came up against God. God dismissed him from heaven like that. God is all-powerful. God is almighty. God is sitting on the throne. He is ruling in the heavenly places. No power, no sin is greater than the love of our God for you and for other people around you. Every one of us, you need to hear again the message. The message of love was brought in that context because everybody knows, oh, isn't it romantic? Two people coming together at the beginning of marriage, they are in love with each other, they're looking forward to everything, but love has more power than just emotional feeling. Love has the ability to conquer and to break into people's hearts. The love of God is here to break the hardness of people's hearts. People come up with all sorts of angst, all sorts of reasons about why God can't love them. But God has said from the foundation of all things, I have loved you with an everlasting love. He has declared it over you. And even though we go into our ways of rebellion, even though we have hardness of heart, even though we resist and are stubborn against God, nothing, nothing, nothing can stand against the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus. And that has been made known to us through the power of the cross. You see, we're not just sitting in a room, listening, singing some songs, coming together, seeing some people that we know. We are here in the presence of the Most High God. God is spirit. God is spirit. 
We need to say to ourselves, in fact, say to yourself, I call my spirit to be awakened. Say it to yourself, I call my spirit to be awakened. So often our minds are taking control over our spirits. Our minds are saying, hey, don't get too excited. Don't get too stirred. Don't get in. Listen, you remember what you did last week. You remember how you failed. You remember the sins you're in. Your mind and the things of darkness come upon you and they dictate to you. But your spirit wants to connect with the Spirit of God. Our God is a consuming fire. A consuming fire. The mountains melt like wax at the presence of the Lord. That is how awesome He is. That is how great He is. That when His presence comes, things melt, things disappear, things cannot stand in the glory of His name. That is the God we serve. And that's why we're seeing what a powerful name it is. The name of Jesus. What a powerful name. And as we sing those songs, our hearts get lighter. Our hearts get stronger because we start to hear the truth. You see, Jesus is the way, Jesus is the truth, and Jesus is the life. Why do we need Jesus? Because we need all of those three things. I need to know the way in life. I often do not know where I'm going. That's why those who are with me can be confused at times. Listen, we don't know the way we're going. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. That's why I call upon him, because I need somebody to direct my paths. I need somebody to show me the way. But the person who is going to show me the way needs to be telling me the truth. Because there are a lot of voices that come to your mind and come to my mind that do not tell me the truth. Those voices remind me of my failures and my insecurities. Those voices intimidate me and cause me to feel afraid. Those voices. You know what, when you were seeing the TV screens yesterday and some of you have been looking out, oh, that's so-and-so, I see them in the films, you know, George Clooney or whoever it may be. Not many people I recognize. But there's, uh, you're seeing them there and you're like, oh, what are they wearing and stuff like that. How many of those people, if we could hear what was going on in their minds, I wonder if they think I'm all right. I wonder what the cameras are. Do I look too fat in this? Is this the right color? Oh, my goodness. Is there somebody else with this? No, I paid loads of money to make sure that didn't happen. And, all, you know, all of those things are happening. But you see, you can't see that. On the outward side, you just see the glamour. But God doesn't look at the outside. He looks at the heart. And in the heart of that place yesterday, there were broken people. Because they're desperate for Jesus. They're desperate to find the escape of the pain of life. They're desperate to find the living God. So when they hear the bishop start to preach something something starts to call to their spirits. Something starts to bring life to them. Something starts to stir to them. I bet you one thing, that his, his name and that sermon would be the most talked about thing about that whole event. Because Jesus will take the highest honor. He will take the highest honor. Above every king and above every queen. We worship you. Father, we worship you this morning. We worship and adore you. We thank you for your glorious presence. Father, we are undeserved of it, but we are so grateful for it. We pray, Heavenly Father, every crevice of our lives, Lord, will you come and do your work in us? Will you change us? Will you help us, oh God? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.
I mentioned the Lord is my shepherd. I've been thinking about that scripture, that psalm. Don't worry, we'll come on to Daniel in due course. Um, I've been thinking about that psalm week, this week. The first line is, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. The Lord is my shepherd. We all need to say that. The Lord is my shepherd. You hearing it? The Lord isn't only the shepherd of the person next to you. Listen, the Lord is my shepherd. He's mine. He is my shepherd. And then interestingly enough, the next line, which I'm now struggling to remember, it says this. He makes me lie down in green pastures. And we're quite familiar with this particular Psalm 23, at least many people are. He makes me lie down. I've been thinking about that. He makes me lie down. How many people like being told what to do? I don't. We struggle with it. And I realized that in this, shepherd, in this uh, psalm that David has written, he's written the truth, but he's saying like, you know what God does to us? He says, listen, you need to lie down for a minute. You need to stop. You need to listen. But we're so busy. We're so preoccupied. It doesn't suit me right now. I don't want to lie down. Who do you think you are telling me what I need to do? And it made me realize, you can't really go on into what the rest of that psalm says. You can't even really go on with your life with Jesus until we come to a point when we say, if you say, I need to lie down, then I will lie down. That's a point of total surrender. A point of total surrender. It's a point when our will actually becomes broken. It's no longer what I want, it's what you want. It's no longer what I am fighting for. I will let you have your way in my life. That is key. It's key. He makes me lie down. He makes me lie down. You know what it's like with a two-year-old trying to get them to sit on a chair? Actually, Joshua, well, he's a bit older, but he's than just two. He was sitting perfectly there for a while this morning. Isla was wriggling around on her chair. It's difficult. So the mums and dads, they, they instruct them, and they give them, but they don't want to stay. They want to get up. They want to move around. We are like those children. We don't want to stay. We don't want to, we're all busy doing this. Quickly, quickly, I've seen something else. I want this, I want that. I want to play with this. We're rushing off after things. He makes me lie down. Are you prepared to allow him to make you lie down? Or are you still fighting? Listen, the longer we fight, the battle for our surrender will go on the more we yield the privilege of we have of coming into surrender. And surrender is letting go. Surrender is saying, I don't know how to do this. Surrender is admitting your weakness, your inability. Surrender is letting go of your self-pride, your self-ability, your self-everything that we put into ourselves to build ourselves up. It's letting go. And it's saying, Jesus, I let you have control. I let you have control. That is what surrender is. It's nothing great. It's not about waving a white flag, although that's a very good symbol because that indicates what is really going on in the spirit. In the spirit, we're saying, okay, I'm not fighting for my own ways anymore. I'm going to allow the spirit of God to lead me. 
Okay, you know what it says in Scripture? It says this, those who are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons and daughters of the living God. Those who are led. We can give a lot of talk about, oh, I'm led by the Spirit. Yeah, but you might not even be surrendered. You might not even be wanting to lie down as a sheep. So you see, there's, there's an inconsistency. Those who are fully surrendered, those who allow the Spirit of God to lead them, they are the sons and daughters of the Most High God. And that's the place we want to come into. It's the place where we want to be. It's the place where we want to abide. It's the place where our friend Daniel was. It's the place where he had got to. It's the things that he had learned. You remember that when he went to Babylon, he had to learn about fasting or he went into fasting? Why? Because he was trying to keep himself trained to stay in that place of surrender. Lord, I don't know the way. I don't know the language. I don't know what to do. I'm in a foreign country. I don't understand these ways. There's a king who's pretty nasty. I don't know what he's going to do to me. But if I surrender to you, the living God, the name that is above every name, the Almighty One, the Most Powerful One, the Great Jehovah, if I surrender to you, you are able to lead me. You are able to help me. You are able to instruct me. So I keep myself in line with you. I keep my heart soft before you. I keep my heart surrendered to you. I allow you to do what you want to do. I will lay down by the quiet waters while you instruct my soul and you restore my soul. I will do that. See, Daniel had learned those things. And so we see at the beginning of Daniel, and as you've heard already, that point of entry when he came into Babylon, taken from Jerusalem into the city. And now he's part of the government, the structure. And, and you know what the political realm is like? You only had to look at your press. You know, what sort of a week did Theresa May have this week? Well, actually not too bad. Why? Because there's a big attention being given to the royal wedding. But otherwise, next week, it's like, wedding's finished, let's get back to the annoyance of Brexit or whatever that is. And you know, in the political arena, it's people's heads go for the block very quickly. It hasn't changed, folks. It's not just that we've now got politics polished. It was like that in Nebuchadnezzar's day. Nebuchadnezzar, though, had one little advantage. He was an authoritarian king. So if he said, off with their heads, then actually heads would roll. So there was a slight advantage. Theresa May's not allowed to do that, although she'd probably think she'd like to do it from time to time, especially with Boris Johnson every now and again. Um, but, you know, that's politics. And Daniel has entered into this world of politics. Politics is a dirty world. Politics is a world of, of trying to show the truth, but not necessarily always showing the truth, trying to make sure things run smoothly with our words. But God wanted to bring justice and integrity, but he wanted to do more than that. He wanted to bring his kingdom in. And you know, when God brings his kingdom in, God's kingdom, quite simply, is this. It's the place where everything that God wants to happen, happens. So when we go into our places of work or into our homes, and we forgive, and we love and we go the extra mile, and we serve, and we choose not to remember wrongs, and all of those other things that love tells us about, when we do that, when we don't judge, it's not that we don't have discipline, or that we don't bring order, or anything like that, but when we don't judge, when we don't bring people down, when we're living like that in the spirit of God's love, then his kingdom comes, because it's being established. There's no point in pretending the kingdom of God is coming when you know you're walking in darkness. 
because you're, you're bringing in the work of darkness. But if we're walking in the light as he is in the light, then guess what? Jesus' light shines all around us. That's bringing his kingdom in. And Daniel wanted to bring the kingdom of God into Babylon because he trusted that God was the king of all the earth. He trusted that there was nothing impossible for his God. And as it's written in Daniel, those people that know their God, they shall do great exploits. And he was one of those men who did those exploits. We're very briefly going to look at uh, Daniel chapter 2, and the readings are going to come up on the screen. So basically, I'm going to read the story, and we can follow it through, and I'll just say a few words. Daniel chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled, and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we'll interpret it. The king replied to the astrologers, This is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. That's nice. Um, but if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Once more they replied, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will interpret it. Notice at the beginning of that it said Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. I think the significance is that Nebuchadnezzar obviously had this dream, or this recurring dream. You know, like sometimes we have a dream, maybe sometimes we have a dream twice. That's God maybe speaking to us, telling us to take notice of something. But here, I think Nebuchadnezzar had had this dream several times over. And so therefore, it wasn't just like, oh, I've had a dream once. It's like, hey, well, hang on a second, what is all this about? What is this about? So now he's saying, like, this is of significance. I want to know the answer to this. But he decides to say, look, you need to tell me what the dream is so I know that we're on the same level here. If not, then it's off with your heads. But listen, you tell me the dream, and, and it's going to be money, it's going to be success, it's going to be authority, it's going to be power. It's everything that the world can offer. In fact, it's only what the world can offer. Money, you saw that yesterday on the TV screens. People with money were at that event. You could tell because they, they were some really nicely cut clothes and things like that. It's expensive. It's expensive to even hire that stuff. People with money were there. What does that count for before God? Money is nothing. Authority, position. Here were people, oh, the highest in the entertainment industry, film industry, you know, uh, queens. The queen was there. But you see, there was a higher authority there. The presence of God was there. It's the highest authority. Nebuchadnezzar was offering them the things the world can offer, but those things are just not enough. In fact, when it comes to trying to connect with God, those things get you nowhere. We can abandon them. It doesn't matter whether you're poor or rich. There's no barrier to us approaching God because it's not about our riches. It's not about our wealth. It's not about our status. It's about the fact that we are a living spirit and our spirit wants to connect with the living God himself. That's what it is. So none of us can discount ourselves. But here in this situation, we've got a problem. Because Nebuchadnezzar is after knowing what this dream is all about. All that the people that he called upon, and notice, by the way, how many different people there were. He called upon the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, 
and astrologers. Look at the different levels of spiritual authority that he was going to and how they could connect to. Astrologers, those who are interested in the signs in the heavens. Magicians, those who can do different magic arts. Enchanters, those people who can draw up spirits. Sorcerers, those people who can move spirits around and things like that. All of this is spiritual darkness. All of this is spiritual darkness. Babylon is a dark place. The name Nebuchadnezzar means, uh, O God of Nabu, please watch over my firstborn son. O God of Nabu. That's what Nebuchadnezzar, that's what his name means. So he's actually named after the fact that I want this God to watch over my family. And he named his son after the chief God of the, uh, the chief deity of Babylon itself. Marduk, but he's known in scripture as evil Merodach, which is a real evil Merodach. That's a really sort of like Lord of the Rings type of name, isn't it? <laughs> it's in scripture, first of all. But you see, these people, they were steeped in this whole thing of spirituality and of knowing dark powers. We don't really understand that realm. You do see it on sort of like the Harry Potter or the, the, uh, those sorts of films where there are dark powers being shown. That's why it's not always helpful to have a great hunger for those films, by the way. It's not always helpful because there are dark powers that they are representing. They are describing things that are real in the spiritual realm. Nebuchadnezzar was operating out of those. He called the whole range of these spiritual men and women, possibly, it doesn't say. It just says those people. He called them all and he was asking them, right, will you tell me what my dream means? And all they could say is, uh, listen, you've got to tell us what the dream is and we'll give you the interpretation. And all the king would say is, you tell me what the dream is and you give me the interpretation. That is the place that they had come to. Let's read on. Daniel 2 Verses 8 to 11. Then the king answered, I am certain that you are trying to gain time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because you realize that this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there is just one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then, tell me the dream and I will know that you can interpret it for me. The astrologers answered the king, there is not a man on earth who can do what the king asks. These are all the spiritual power people. These are all the people who can connect into the dark realm. And this is what they say. There is not a man on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer what the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among men. Oh, yes, they do. Oh, yes, they do. My body sometimes doesn't look too good, but I praise God that it is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And we can all say the same. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. If you have asked Jesus to come in, the Holy Spirit has come to dwell within you. The Most High God does live among men and women. He does live here on this earth. Daniel 2, verses 12 to 18. So here these astrologers are saying nobody can do it. This made the king so angry 
and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So all of these magicians, sorcerers, enchanters, the kings had it. This is like, right, off with their heads. All the wise men. Now, he had been referring to those, but when we hear about all the wise men, we find that the decree goes to really even people included like Daniel. Because as we read on in verse 13, so the decree was issued to put the wise men to death and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put the, to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. Very, very wise, Daniel. Uh, excuse me, exactly what's going on here. What has the king said? You can imagine. He asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went into the king. At this, Daniel went into the king. You do notice the authority and the connections that Daniel had. At this, Daniel went into the king. So yesterday, you saw the queen sitting there, like nobody can get around the queen, you know, she's hushed out, she's looked after and all that sort of stuff. And I know that she's an elderly lady, but it's because it's the queen. Daniel had the ability to go in before the king. So he goes in before Nebuchadnezzar. And he says this, At this Daniel went into the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. He went to plead for mercy. Now you see, Daniel had got to this point here and there's only one thing you can do. It is to surrender absolutely to God. Now it, it sort of made easier for us because we understand in this situation, well, you know what? You didn't have any choice, Daniel. Well, he's exactly right. He didn't have any choice. His choices were being taken away from him because if he didn't come up with what the dream was, he would be facing execution. So there was a certain helpful kick up the backside for Daniel at this point and his friends. Guys, if we don't pray tonight, tomorrow we're going to die. So why not just spend our last night praying? So that was, you know, at least there was a motivation there. But nevertheless, we need to find ourselves in the same place. There's far too much, and when I reflect in my own life, there is far too much of my ability which is crushing the work of the Holy Spirit. Because, like, you know, I don't need that. I'll, I'll just get on and do this. I, I can manage up some resources. Let me go through it. Let me have another go. Let me try this. Something, something quite amusing happened yesterday. So, obviously, it's the royal wedding. Helen is allowed to sit in front of the TV to watch what's going on, just to make sure she's seen all those things. Flowers, what are they wearing? How is it done? You know, all of that stuff. We think of a new, you know, got the new doorway at the back of the church now, surrounded with greenery, white flowers. And, um, so she was looking at that, and, so, and Henry came over as well, my son. And uh, we were going to have, the idea was we'd watch the wedding and then we'd have some food afterwards, which is what we did. But ages ago, last year, uh, last Father's Day, Henry bought me a gift, which was a smoker. Uh, not necessarily, as in, not in cigarettes, I don't mean that. 
as in a cooking implement, i.e. you could smoke fish, you could smoke meat. Not that I had a particular desire for this, but anyway, it was a gift that was given to me. <laughs> Wonderful. And there's been all this time about, oh, we must use that, we must do that. And so we elected yesterday to be the day when we would smoke a piece of salmon to perfection so that after Helen had watched this wonderful display, she could be treated to some salads and some wonderful freshly smoked salmon. Yeah? Anyway, so we got this tin outside and we got all the, the burners you had to get going and all this sort of stuff. You had to put some wood chips in there because the wood chips obviously is what actually gets heated up by this methylated spirit heater and then that starts to smoke and then the smoke comes and it cooks and infuses the fish with smoke. And so we set it all up, got it, we were doing all the other cooking, everything was looking marvellous. We were a little bit concerned, had to check the fish. Gosh, it's a bit smoky in there. <laughs> But it wasn't quite cooked. Give it another five minutes. Okay, after five minutes. You know how you go on top of a barbecue and you get all that smoke in your face? Oh, my days. Anyway, did that. And then we thought, now let us taste this fish. I can only say this. This lovely piece of fish, which was a lovely big piece of salmon, which we were all looking forward to, it tasted like I was eating a creosoted fence. <laughs> that is what it tasted like. It was absolutely horrid. So anyway, when that, unfortunately, fortunately there was some other food just in case, so we got around this, but that went disastrously wrong. Now, I can't think exactly why I told you that story, but I do know, obviously, it was, it was of great amusement to us. The, the fact is, we think we know what we're doing. That's what it was. We think we know what we're doing. And, you know, okay, we hadn't done it before, so there was a degree, but we thought we knew what we were doing in smoking this fish. We hadn't got an idea. It tasted disgusting. In fact, I got my hands completely covered in an oil, just trying to clean the pan up and everything like that. It tasted disgusting. We didn't know what we were doing. In life, in life, we keep thinking we know what we're doing. We keep thinking we know what we're about. We keep thinking we know how to get through this. We keep thinking, we will not surrender to him who knows everything. We find ourselves stubborn. We're like the sheep that do not want to be told which way to go when he has said that he needs to make us lie down in the green pastures. But we keep resisting. I keep resisting. Folks, Daniel came to that point where there was resistance could happen no longer. I have to surrender to him. So when Daniel starts praying, I don't know what he was praying. I don't know where he was going in his prayers. I don't know how he started, oh God, you are great. Oh God, you are mighty. Please tell us the dream. Please tell us the dream. But all of that, however he was pleading, whatever he was saying, there was nothing. He's got no strength. He has no ability. He has nothing to hold on to except for God. That's all he can do. Folks, this is the place that we need to come to. And if you're going to read this book again and read through Daniel, you will see this. Here is a man who had learned how to surrender to God. And if we surrender to him, he is able to take us through. But if we want to keep holding on to ourselves, then stuff is going to go wrong. We need to learn to surrender to him.
Daniel 2 verse 18 says, he urged them to plead for mercy from the living God. When it comes to this situation, that is what I do. God, I do not know what to pray. I do not know how to pray. I do not know where to start. I do not know what you want. I surrender to you. I surrender my thoughts. I surrender my heart. I surrender my fears. I surrender to you, Lord. Yes, even those thoughts that are coming against me now that say I need to be going and putting that in the oven or whatever, I surrender them. I surrender to you, Lord. And we have to hold ourselves in that place until our hearts start to match our words and our hearts can become submissive to him and he is allowed to have authority in our lives. But without surrender, without that deep surrender, we can't find him. But as we go into deep surrender, so then he starts to do things. Daniel 2 verse 19, it says, During the night, during the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. During the night. In the middle of the night when they were crying, when they were praying, when they were earnestly seeking God, Daniel has a vision. Now, how that operated, what that looked like, I don't know. But I do know this. He saw exactly what the dream was. He was nothing of Daniel. It was everything of God. It was nothing of self. It was everything from heaven. That is what we need to hear. It's nothing of ourselves. Of myself, I can do nothing. But with him, I can do all things. That's what Paul says, because this is the truth. And so for Daniel, the dream was revealed to him. And so he was able to go before the king. And the king was able to ask him about the dream. Let's just skip to verse 26. Daniel 2, verse 26. The king asked Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? And Daniel replied, No wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery about which he asked. But there is a God in heaven. There is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. There is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. Have you a mystery in your life? Are you wondering how that family member's going to get saved? Are you wondering how that healing's going to come? Are you wondering where that promotion's going to come from? Are you wondering where your provision's going to come from? There is a revealer of mysteries in heaven. It is our God. He is able to reveal mysteries. And Daniel was able to say, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the days to come. Your dream and your visions that pass through your mind as you lay on your bed are these. And it goes on. The revealer of mysteries has shown me this. If there's something that my heart is hungering about as we've been looking for this book, it's that I want a heart like Daniel. I want a heart like him. I want to see that softness, that submissiveness, that surrenderedness that was in his heart come into my life. Why? Because when we have a heart like that, the nation starts to change. Situations start to change. 
Because when we have difficult situations, we must remember this. It has to be none of self, but all of him. Not a mixture, not a foot in both camps. It has to be none of self, but it has to be all of him.